0: If you enjoy the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at facebook.com slash Slip Angle Show. You can visit our new home on the web at wwwtracktunecom slash Slip Angle. You can also leave us reviews and ratings in the iTunes Store. Welcome everybody to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today I'm at McCluskey Chevrolet in Cincinnati, Ohio, with Mr. Danny Pop. How's it going, Danny? It's going good, Austin. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me up. No problem. So we've uh, I've spent probably most of the uh, most of the afternoon with you and evening, and heck, I guess now into the night. Um, you know, we you were lining a C5 Z06 when I got here. Then we went and kind of looked over at the lot, and then went out and looked at your your race car, which was awesome, by the way. Thanks Thank again. You. And then got some nice uh, skyline chili, like you have to when you're here in Cincinnati, right? Yeah, absolutely. If
1: you're in, if you're in Cincinnati, you got to have a. Skyline chili, probably a little shot of Montgomery and ribs, and uh, some Grater's ice cream. Yeah, there you go, man. There you go. So I'm gonna buy some uh, some P and
0: G products on my way out. Too. There you go, <laughs> awesome.
1: Maybe, maybe a General Electric jet, uh, aircraft
0: engine while you're at it. Yeah, just load everything up. That's right. So and actually, I'll be lucky if I get out of here without uh, without buying a Corvette. So it's <laughs> been hanging out too much around Corvette stuff.
1: And you're hanging around with the with the number one Corvette crack dealer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can. Uh, it's easy to see why, too, man. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of fun here. Yeah. So
0: tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, you know, a lot of people probably know the name a little bit, um, but you've actually been around this stuff for quite a long time. I had no idea. Uh, you know, I, I kind of, you know, Sherry had sent me an article about, you know, the you know the, the older Corvette that you used to autocross occasionally, that your dad autocrossed back in the day, but I didn't have any
1: idea about the all the road racing stuff that you'd done, too, so... Yeah, we've, uh, you know, I, I was born and raised at a Corvette family. You know, Dad was a mechanical engineer at General Electric, and because of that, you know, all mechanical engineers typically have interest in cars. And, you know, I, I was born and raised in a family that there was Corvettes and Z28s and Corvairs and and other weird stuff laying around, and Dad always ran Corvette Club, Triple uh, C National Council Corvette Club autocrosses, and SCCA events, and local car club autocrosses, and did some road course, um, standing start, time trial type stuff with a Corvette club. but So, you know, I, I, I'm i of the demographic and age group where, you know, we didn't grow up having the internet, you know, so we entertained ourselves with other things and followed other passions. And, you know, my, mine was cars as a kid. So, you know, I liked cars. You know, that was the thing I dug the most that was at the house and always loved the Corvettes and... And, you know, so I kind of turned it into uh, following my father's passion, and I started autocrossing with him when I was 16, and, you know, just continued to do that until I was about 30, and, you know, we've done SCCA autocross. Yeah, you've won a couple national championships, too, right? Yeah, um, we've been been better lucky than good sometimes, and (laughs) we've won uh, several SCCA national championships in the old 72 Corvette, and... Street prepared in the uh, mid and late 90s, couple of uh, pro solo points championships um, in the mid late 90s, and then you know, in the after the 2000 season 2001, you know, I decided to start running C5 Z06s. Um, drove a 2002 Z06, um, two of them actually in the 2002 year, one of my good friend Jerry Onks from uh Smyrna Tennessee and uh Superstock and then Rodney Sizemore who's a a friend of mine and a customer here from Cincinnati who bought one and he was running the one lap and you know I developed the car for that and to run SEC autocross and after that year, you know, I bought my own 03 Z06, um, that's the car. Which you that, still have, right? Which which I still have. We just got done looking at it um, over in storage. Um, yeah, I think I do more miles in a month than that car has on it total. <laughs> yeah, that car was bought brand new to autocross. And, um, you know, I put 250 to 300 miles on it um, right off Jump Street right when I got it, just to drive it around and have some fun with it. And then I, I tore it apart and turned it into an A Street prepared um, SECA autocross car. And we campaigned that car for three years or so um, in A Street Prepared with myself driving it and uh, um, my buddy's wife, B Reganey, from Chicago region. And then in 2005, Karen Rafferty drove it. And I think the car won four or five national championships, only one of which were mine. In 2003, um, I think I won the 04 A Street Prepared Points Championship um, in Pro Solo. And then B, I believe, won in 03 and 04, and Karen Rafferty won in O five in the car. So it's okay. been a successful car. But, you know, after actually after the 05 season, um, I finished second at Nationals in 05 in Topeka, Kansas. And um, we'd been beaten the year before kind of with a Hoosier Kumo um, tire battle, and Kumo was the faster tire at the time. And me being a, a loyal individual, um, you know, I knew we had some problems, but I stuck with it. But the following year, Hoosier kind of, you know, I I told Hoosier what my problems were. He said, well, we're working on it. Next year, we're going to have a good tire, which eventually became the A6. But the 05 season, I actually ran the Kumos and uh, was going to win again. And the way SEC autocross works, Um, you know, sometimes at Topeka, Well, at the time it was Topeka, Um, but any of the autocross national events. You know, if Mother Nature intervenes, you can't do anything with that. We um, had a high car number. Cars got on track, um, ran some good times, and uh, then it rained on us, and we started started day number two 2.8 seconds behind, and even though the playing field was level the second day, we won the second day, it wasn't enough. And that kind of – that and my – um curiosity um and want for something different other than autocross that I'd done for for uh, 16 years at that point 17 years um we were going to start doing some road course stuff I'd run a couple HPDEs you know we had run the one lap of America in 05 um and just loved the road courses um so you know we started evolving into that um so you know, we actually did NASA time trial and road racing from uh, 2006 through 2010, and we had a lot of fun with that and won, won several national championships. Um, we were going to run in 06, but my son got sick and we missed. Um 07, we won time trial U and ST1 um, with a rookie plate on the car for the road race, <laughs> um, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, and then... So we won two championships in 07. In 08, we won two time trial national championships. I drove my teammate, James Forbus's, um ST2 car in TTS at the time, um, and won in 08 in that. Also won in my car in TTU. Um, won everything in ST1 but the final race. We got hit with uh, three corners to go by a uh, car two laps down on the right rear and... Uh, ended up finishing second that year to Aaron Fott and Aaron flew me out to uh, Salt Lake City Utah in 09 and we won another championship in TTU then and uh then we had some other family stuff going I kind of got out of the NASA stuff and you know that kind of led us into running um the Optima series events though USCI and um, some good Guys stuff for the last four or five years which we've been having a lot of fun with that too
0: okay now what was the first uh Optima <laughs> or good guy event that the or good guys event that you ran
1: Good guys, we kind of started the Good Guys after um, we had um, had curiosity about the Optima Ultimate Streetcar Invitational. Um, I kind of got clued into the Optima event because, and I forget which channel it was on. I I happened to see it on, it was probably Speed Vision at the time, Um, the 2009, I believe, OUSCI, where um, longtime. Solo competitor, friend of mine, and one of our Ten 1010s instructors, Jim McCamey, had actually won the event. I watched it on TV. He was driving Bruce Camburn's uh, original 427 Cobra. Um, and, you know, after watching that, I'm like, well, that looks pretty cool. I think I'm going to – I'd like to try that sometime. So it took us a couple of years. Uh, my friend Todd Rumpke and I were kind of running around in his Corvette doing events. And, um, and some NASA stuff Still, still doing some time trial. And uh, we had an opportunity to run an event that was a qualifier for that event um, at the Motor State Challenge in Gingerman in 2011. So we went up there and ran and actually won and won our invite for the our first um, Optima Ultimate Car Invitational. And we were lucky enough to win that year. What um, car was that in? That was in Todd Rumpke's 2006 um, Chevrolet Corvette C6Z06. Um, that at the time was, you know, had a set of milled cylinder heads and a camshaft in it. It set a long tube headers and a tune and a ram air. Um, but those 427 LS7s make pretty good power like that. I think it was about 570 wheel at the time. You know, it had our RAF proprietary suspension stuff on it, big springs, uh, urethane bushings at the time, some adjustable bars, uh, forge line wheels. And we had, uh, that was the first event that we had actually brought our NASA aero package into the Optima stuff. And uh, there was a lot of controversy about that when we did it. But um, <laughs> what, we won- what did that consist of? Um, well, uh, that was the original original Good Arrow aerofoil rear wing, um, which was built to NASA spec. So, you know, it wasn't SECA wing. It wasn't within the body template. It wasn't under the roof line. You know, it was rearward of the rear bumper cover. It was taller than the roof by four or five inches. So it looked pretty sinister and pretty ominous with a big wing on it. And, um, you know, we customized a ZR1 front splitter and dropped it a little bit. And then it had a, Lumic- a Lumicore tray on it that went all the way back to the uh, subframe. And the car worked very, very well. We uh, The road course out there, we, at that particular event in 2011, we won the autocross by a lot. And the road course, um, <laughs> that was the first time I was ever at Spring Mountain. You know, I watched some videos of it. Um, I kind of saved the car for the last lap, but we had a master cylinder problem. But on lap number two, we dropped the Spring Mountain Optima record by probably four seconds. Wow. And um, the last lap, we probably had two more seconds because that was my first three laps on the track. But, you know, that never happened. And, you know, we never ran that car again at that place. But the la- the next two successive years, no one got within four seconds of that time. So it was uh, kind of ahead of its time at the time. Had some problems at the speed stop, but uh, we finished second there to Mark Stilo. but we won the overall event. So that kind of gained our entry into, um, A, the Optima, and also the pro-touring world. Um, You know, your original question was, when did you run your first Good Guys event? Well, the first Good Guys event we ran, I spectated one in 2011. I went to uh, the Columbus Good Guys show because I was i um, going to be driving all the pro-touring cars the following day at National Trails Raceway for a Chevy high-performance article that did all the pro-touring cars. So I was kind of up there as a guest of uh, Detroit Speed, who I was hanging around with, with Kyle and Stacey Tucker. And much to my surprise with the good guy stuff, you know, i had done autocross for 16 years. Um... You know, I looked at this Good Guys event, you know, it was a spectator, which I'm not a good spectator, but the autocross course was very small and, you know, it was surrounded by concrete barriers and fences and wasn't very fast, but the thing that was really weird is that, you know, this autocross was happening in the middle of a, a humongous car show, the Good Guys show. <laughs> it was like a drift event then. Well, <laughs> <Like> the- <laughs> from a spectator standpoint, it definitely yeah. was, you know, yeah. it still was autocross protocol. and the people that were doing it wrong were drifting, I can tell you that. But, um, you know, they had a very huge audience. And, you know, kind of how we got involved with the good guys autocross is, you know, the 72 Corvette that we were just mentioning a little bit ago had been sitting for 10 years, basically, since I was running the C5 Corvettes and doing NASA road race and other various things. And some of my Corvette sponsors who have been with me forever, um, you know, they were also taking out of the good guys series. And um, you know they knew I still had that car, and they knew that car would still be competitive in it. So the following year in 2012, um, Van Steel suspension, um, Forge line and Willwood kind of pushed me into doing it. you know they got me some parts for the car, kind of modernized it a little bit. We did different upper and lower control arms in the front, some JRI shocks, uh, the offset van steel rear trailing arms or uh, Beautiful set of really big Forge Line GA3Rs, and uh, is that you know, what's we, on there right now. That's what's on it oh, right man. now. They're it looks uh, great. 18 by 11 front, 18 by 12 rears with uh, 315 and 335s on it. We actually took some of our old one lap tires that we had ran <laughs> and uh, put them on the car for that event, and we were able to win that event. And I just kind of slammed the car together the week <laughs> beforehand, and uh, you know, so that is that has evolved since 2012. You know, the car got the chassis sorted with those new components because we ran the car a little bit more um and then you know the year after we swapped the engine the uh 70 lt1 engine we swapped with a lingenfelder built d-stroked ls7 that displaces 388 cubic inches and it's a it's a snotty little dude i can tell you um and it's it sounds great it's been a lot of fun yeah it's been a lot of fun so you know that and to me, you know, I kind of cut my teeth in that old Corvette with my father. Yeah, let's you
0: know. let's talk about that car a little bit, because it has a, a very interesting history, being that it, you know, it's been in your family for so long.
1: Yeah, you know, I was a very small boy, you know, and as I said, dad um, was a Corvette Club racer and did SCCA stuff and whatnot, and you know, at the time, there was a uh, 70 Z28 in the family that was dad's everyday car, with a 70 LT1 and a M22 Rock Crusher and a 410 gear, and... There was a 65 Corvette, 327, 350 coupe, stick shift car that, you know, Dad ran majorly. And uh, Dad was interested in buying a a newer Corvette, but, you know, that was right around the downturn of performance with emission and insurance crunch and gas prices and all that. So he bought a, I think it was 10-month-old or so, 72 Targa Blue LT1 Corvette, you know, when I was three years old. And, you know, I, as a child, just loved that car. My dad obviously liked it. You know, it was new and exciting, and I was a three-year-old and impressionable. Um, So, you know, I grew up around that car, and, you know, Dad always autocrossed it, and Dad was a very successful uh, autocrosser locally, regionally, and divisionally. Um, So, you know, and that car was bought a lot like my 03 Z06, you know, that car was bought to Autocross. You know, it was yeah. never really intended to be an everyday car. Yeah, and you
0: were you were showing me uh, it still has the mounts on it to be able to be flat-towed. Your dad used to flat-tow it to events, right?
1: Yeah, and, you know, that was a lot more commonplace in the 70s. People did have trailers back then, um, you know, or car haulers. Um, but Dad always flat-towed that car behind a 72 Chevrolet Kingswood Estate, uh, station wagon, actually, which was my mom's family truckster. <laughs> Um, so it would get flat towed, you know, on a set of street tires with a tow bar behind the station wagon all over the place. And um, as I was showing you, the car right now has uh, 40,600 something miles on it. And I guarantee you two thirds of those miles are actually from being flat towed behind that wagon. because <laughs> dad never pulled the driveshaft out. So just increment miles going down the road.
0: OK. Now, yeah, that car, you know, it's obviously a Corvette, but it's also blue. And you're telling me that that's kind of what kind of set
1: your love of blue blue cars into motion it did um you know i the the older i got the more i liked the blue on that 72 corvette and you know besides my dad racing that car you know something i haven't told you my mom also raced the car oh really my mom my mom was also a very good driver and you know she drove all the way up till she got a real estate license and she then she was showing houses and stuff but I guess I was probably 12 years old or so when she started doing that. But okay. I can remember the local Corvette Club events. Um, dad would typically beat everybody, and then Mom would typically beat everybody but my dad. So um, <laughs> they were both exceptional drivers. Uh, you know, I was raised in a uh, Corvette family. Um, you know, we did a lot of autocrosses. And I grew up in parking lots at autocrosses. And it was it was a, a great early childhood for me I mean, Oh yeah without the internet and other things that was big entertainment for us yeah, yeah. it was it was awesome
0: yeah and you kind of grew up around the, the autocross and motorsports family and kind of see what that's all about and mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of our listeners that may or may not have ever been to an event but that's a, a big piece of why people still participate in motorsports is you
1: know the fact that there's a, a large social backing to it well that you know it's 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 accessible. You know, on any given Sunday throughout this whole country, in any, you know, fairly sized city, there's probably an autocross within 50 to 100 miles. Yeah. At least one autocross, maybe three of them. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's accessible. It's relatively cheap. It's relatively safe. You can run virtually any car. And, you know, it's a great grassroots uh, motorsport. And it's you know typically a feeder fish for a lot of other motorsports. After that, including road racing.
0: Yeah. So now I guess you said that you had autocross for pretty much like 16 years before you ever really did any road course stuff. Was That's there absolutely any, right. Was there any time during that that you wanted to maybe do some road course stuff and just decided not to?
1: Well, you know, when I was a when I was a small kid, you know, I obviously went to all the. I'm all across with my dad. I raced BMX bikes from the time I was break. Yeah,
0: we talked about that earlier. From,
1: I think, 10 years old to 13 years old, I was pretty much into that. I'm um, actually into about 14.
0: You know, there's, there's actually a lot of our listeners that used to race BMX, too. BMX so.
1: bikes are cool. I used yeah. to have that. That was great fun, too. That was also the other, our other vice since we didn't have the internet. You know, we'd get on our bikes at 9 o'clock in the morning and ride until we got in trouble for not being home for dinner or when it was dark because <laughs> we were still on our bikes. But... Um, you know, I also – I never did go-karts because Dad really wasn't – Dad was a car head in a uh, – you know, an autocrosser and an engineer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he didn't really – he was conservative. He didn't really um, promote the racing stuff to me so much. You know, we didn't do go-karts and stuff. But what we did do that we used to have – and I'm not sure if some of the listeners even realized they used to have these things. We used to have – these tracks called Malibu Grand Prix. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The concession cart ones that. Um, you it pay was, and...
1: uh, you know, they're they're concrete. It was a uh, road course, you know. Actually, there, there's still one in Atlanta. Is there a Malibu yeah. Grand Prix in yeah, Atlanta? Yeah, there's
0: still a Malibu Grand Prix oh, on the I north side of Atlanta. Oh, yeah, that's cool.
1: I'll have to hit that. My sister lives down there. so. But anyway, we had one here in Cincinnati. We had one in um, Dayton, Ohio. We also had one in Columbus, Ohio. And, you know, I started at like 12 driving what they called road runners. Um, at Malibu Grand Prix and those were um, basically go-karts and Malibu Grand Prix wasn't a wheel-to-wheel race but what it was is a you know probably half to seven eighths of a mile concrete twisty road course that you ran against the clock so you know I started doing that you know dad would take me over there and we'd run that and actually they had some kiddie leagues in the road runners that I was pretty dominant in actually had a lot of fun with that and um from there when you were 14 at the bon- at the Malibu Grand Prix you could take the Bonderat driving school which allowed you to drive the Virage cars which were the bigger cars um so um i was able to drive big cars in SECA leagues and uh, other radio station contests and used to do very well at that also so that was kind of my earliest motorsports um experiences there but as far as doing road courses, my dad, you know, the Triple C ran road course events, kind of standing start, one flying lap against the clock, and um, dad used to do it. He wasn't as good at that as the autocrosses because he didn't really spend a lot of time doing it. It was fun for him, but I think it was 82 or 83, we were at Super September and at IRP, Indianapolis Raceway Park, and I was there, and I remember the occurrence well. He came into the carousel early morning, probably top of third gear. And when he set up for the braking zone, he he touched some wet grass on the outside of the track and took a ride almost to the guardrail. And he's <laughs> he still, to this day, in that 72 Corvette, does not know what stopped the car because he thought he was going in. And from that point, the dad being relatively conservative, is like, you know, road coursing is not very smart with these cars with no safety equipment, stock belts, you know, no roll cages. And uh, so... He didn't really nurture that in me at an early age. You know, we did a lot of autocrossing. We enjoyed that. We did it all the time. You know, father and son, both of us co-driving the car. But, you know, because of that one experience he had, um, you know, he really didn't instill that with me. And I kind of had to do that myself. So I autocrossed for 16 years. I was I was uh, 32 years old before I ran my first road course, and that was at the 2002 NCCC. National convention, which was in Indianapolis that year, uh, we took Rodney Sizemore's Corvette over and ran, and they did it the same way. It was standing start, out of the pits, one lap, and uh, that was my first road course event, and we did very, very well. We we won that event and set a new track record by about three seconds. Oh wow! And uh, so from that point, I you know I still loved the autocross, but the euphoria of autocrossing had kind of wore off. I was kind of going through the motions and that was my new fix so you know from that point on you know we did hpde events and you know ran the one lap of america in 05 and 06 and started nasa stuff in 06 and time trial in 06 and then in 07 we downhill
0: ever since yeah slippery slope
1: (laughs) you know in 07 we went to the mid ohio school the nasa licensing program for road racing and uh had some engine problems that year. That's why we still had the rookie plate on the car at the national championships because I, I was still on my rookie, rookie provisional license and was able to win a national championship against Tom Glenn that year. So it's, okay. it's been fun. Awesome.
0: Well, we'll uh, let's take a quick break. We'll go to a speed secret from Ross Bentley, and we'll be right back.
2: So let's talk about downshifting for a moment. Yes, there's a lot of cars nowadays with – paddle shifts and semi-automatics and things, but you know, Hey, for us old, old guys and purists, uh, you know, going through the gears is still a a big part of, of performance driving and race driving. And depending on the car, it's a, it's a must. One of the things that you can do on, on down, when downshifting is you can skip shift. And what skip shift means is let's say you're driving down the, the straightaway, you're you're in fifth gear and you're approaching a corner that you're going to take in second gear. You know the typical classic way would be to go from downshift from from fifth gear to fourth gear then fourth gear to third gear then third gear to second gear well sometimes all that does is complicate things and it actually well you're doing more things and every time you do more things there's more chance of you making a mistake so by skip shifting you can actually go from just you brake 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 get the car slowed down to the right speed and then you just make one downshift from fifth gear down into second gear and ideally you're using a heel and toe or a blip on the on the throttle to make to match the revs on that downshift. But that's what skip shifting is, is skipping going through all the gears. Now do I recommend that you start off there? No, I don't. I think you should get used to going down through the gears to kind of get that rhythm. But once you get that rhythm and you understand uh when that when you should make that final downshift, then you can skip shift. And that's the final last point is make sure you slow the car down with the brakes. Slow it down, slow it down, slow it down, and then at the, when when you're right towards the end of your braking zone, that's when you're going to make that downshift finally into second gear, make that skip shift down into second gear. So, slow it with the brakes, wait, then make that skip shift down into second gear. That's what skip shifting is all about. One more technique to make you a better driver.
0: And we're back. Thanks, Ross, for that tip. For more on Ross and Speed Secrets, you can visit speedsecrets.com. Now, Danny, tell me, I mean, you've autocrossed a decent amount and done, you know, gotten more into the road course stuff. Uh, what was the biggest thing for you to, I guess, adapt to going from autocross to road course?
1: Well, being, when I autocrossed, I kind of had, because I was a quarterback guy, I kind of had the bad boy persona, and <laughs> I didn't do things orthodoxly, you know, uh... I used a lot of slip angle because the old Corvette, um, when we initially were running it and winning championships early, we were running on the uh, Hoosier Bias Fly tire, which, um, you know, you drove those cars with slip angle. You know, the cars would always turn in probably too well. The back end would start swinging. You caught it with the throttle. It was like, almost like a sprint car. So for me, you know, that was a way of life. Um, you know, I initiate the cars to the corner of the steering wheel. I drive the cars to the corner, um, steering it with a throttle. And for me, the road course transition, the autocross was great for me for the road course because it taught me a lot about um, vehicle dynamics, car control, and most importantly, probably for being fast on a road course, real early was um, course analysis and how to break down um, corners, exactly what you're going to be able to do, be able to mentally image it, um, and you know, as autocrossers, we typically. Plan corner exits, you know, not corner entries. So, the biggest thing for me was, and like time trial, the speed never freaked us out. Um, but, you know, the way you drive a car in an autocross or even time trial is you don't save the car. I mean, as soon as they say go, it's go time. The car will never be as good as it is on lap one. Um, so, you know, my early time trial stuff was kind of unorthodox too. And, you know, we you slip angle. The car was always going forward, but the car was not very straight on corner exits, <laughs> you know. So I know it was exciting enough on my first weekend of NASA time trial to, at Mid-Ohio with my buddy James Forbes who convinced me to go up there and do it. Um, the Lake Erie Communications corner workers um, were walking through the paddock at lunch, and two ladies stopped me. As they were walking through, were like, excuse me, are you driving that blue Corvette? And I'm like, y- uh, yeah, why, kind of reluctantly, like, uh what did I do? And they are like, we thought you were going to kill yourself on lap one and two of each of those <laughs> sessions, and then you just kept doing the same thing, and, man, are you fast. <laughs> so when, you know, we had a lot of fun time trials. I still time travel just like that. Um, you know, we use it all up and go as fast as we can, and some tires like slip angle and some don't, but... When we started road racing, you know, that required a different discipline. And, you know, we, at the time, um, were running on Hoosier A6s, just like the autocross tires. They are autocross tires, sorry. Um, Because Hoosier would tell us at the time, um, even in road race, a Hoosier A at 90% is faster than a Hoosier R at 100. So the thing is, is, you know, you're running – you know, 20, 25, 30, 40-minute races on a set of autocross tires in a, you know, nearly 600-wheel horsepower Corvette, you had to drive the tires smart. You could drive the car like that for a lap or two if you needed to, and then you'd have to drive the car calm and hooked up and precise, you know, for a while, and then you could go back and do that again. You know, it was faster to drive the car slip angle but, you know, if you wanted to make the end of the race and, you know, take the checkered flag, which decided who won that, not an actual lap time, yeah. um, you needed to save the tires. Right. Um, so, you know, I didn't – it, it required discipline is what it did. And, you know, an autocross actually requires discipline too. So it's just trying to figure out what, what the car needs, what's going to um, provide the fastest, most consistent lap times and keeping the car under you. You know, that's the most important thing.
0: Okay. Now, we were talking earlier, like when we were at dinner, um, about how autocross, you know, some of the things that you do during autocross can set you up better for road course things. Uh, Things like, you know, driving the S's at VIR or at Road Atlanta uh, and considering it more of a slalom to where you take a little bit of a different line than somebody that, you know, really only does road course stuff. Um, Are there any other things like that? Or you want to explain that a little bit?
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that, um, you know, autocrossing teaches you a lot of things in a low-consequence environment, A, so it's safer. Um, you know, anybody that's trying to get into any of this motorsport stuff, especially road racing, autocross seems painful because, you know, you're out there, there's 200 other people out there, you get three, four, five, maybe six runs a day if you're lucky, but it forces you to drive technically and think, think about your runs, and analyze very carefully the course and what is the fastest, most efficient, best way to approach every corner. And the thing that became immediately apparent to me, being an autocrosser going to road racing, was that you know there's guys at road race that are fast. Don't get me wrong, but anytime there was complex corner segments, um, you know come up, such as Madness at Mid-Ohio, um, any of the S's, or Roller Coaster, for that matter, at VIR, um, you know, the S's at Road Atlanta, things like that. But You know, the way you approach a slalom in an autocross, or the S's at VIR, or the S's at Road Atlanta, you know, the guys that only road race know this: the straightest, straightest line is the fastest line for them. Well any slalom in an autocross or s's at VIR or road atlanta you need to approach those just like the downhill skiers do they laid apex everything they don't go to the gate and try to turn so what that allows you to do is turn at shallower angles use more throttle or not slow down as much and be able to drive absolutely through the last two um, obstacles with your foot flat on the floor reducing steering angle so you know they don't consider Madness a good passing area, the uphill S's at VIR, roller coaster. But I'll be daggone if I didn't find myself in the most bizarre scenarios in those particular <laughs> areas of track because we were just radically faster than people there. So, yeah. um, you know, complex corner segments, you know, there are some lessons to be learned um, from autocrossers to the road racers, I can tell you that.
0: Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit and, uh, talk a little bit about the 25 hour. Cause I know that you said that you, you had run the 25 hour, um, a couple years ago. Uh, you know, you want to talk about
1: that a little? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we started doing NASA stuff, you know, we ran the NASA national championships in 07. Um, there was a new Corvette, um, suspension, high performance company, um, um, fought race engineering out of Salt Lake city, Utah. And, uh. Aaron Fott, who was the owner, and his lovely wife, Robin. Um, Aaron was a racer. I think he did some PCA stuff before, because I know he had some Porsche stuff. Um, he was a big Corvette nut, though. He was developing sus- Corvette suspension stuff. I think they started with sway bars, which had me contact him immediately, because you know we had the need for nice, adjustable sway bars for our race cars. Um, so anyway, long story short, Aaron was running NASA stuff also. He had an ST1 Corvette. Um, he came to the 08 Nationals um, at Mid-Ohio and was a very formidable competitor. He and I um, battled. Um, he ended up winning the national championship um, after I got hit. He was, he was considerably behind, but, you know, we got hit and knocked in the grail trap by the uh, uh, the same class car that was two laps down. Um, but Aaron was a good guy, and Aaron um, had a plan that, you know, he wanted to run the 25 Hours of Thunderhill. And, you know, he actually invited me to come out and and run in his car with him. And uh, I think it was Dean Conti and Norm Goldridge. And I think that was it. I think there was four of us. Okay. Yeah. Had so, you done
0: any endurance racing up to that point?
1: I had never done any endurance racing. Okay. You know, the NASA, NASA stuff's all sprint racing. Yeah. You know, you... You pit, you're done. You have a problem, you're done. <laughs> um, so that was that was an interesting thing for me. You know, Aaron and Robin and, uh, you know, the new company, Pot Race Engineering, which had gone from zero to hero in like two years. I mean, they they did a phenomenal job of uh, building product product and marketing, and, you know, they had enough funds to run the event, and they did it top notch. And, you know, Aaron had some endurance racing experience. Um, you know, our efforts that year were were – Thwarted by some mechanical woes. We had a fuel system that was contaminated from a dry brake um, connector that he had added to the car. And instead of making gaskets and seals, I guess there was some sort of fuel safe sealer that he used to uh, integrate into the plastic Corvette gas tanks. And hmm. I guess we found out rule number one is there is no fuel safe sealer, use gaskets. <laughs> uh, but it contaminated the fuel system, was plugging the fuel filter, and it even got to the injectors. Um,. That was one problem, and then we ended up killing the clutch later, later in the event. But that was a lot of fun. We were, uh, I think we, I think we were, a es car if I remember right. That was two thousand eight. It's been a while, but okay. Um, we were a fast car. I mean, you know. I think we were one of the top five fastest cars at the event. Not that outright speed decides who wins the twenty five hours. Um, and the only thing I remember is, you know, I'm on a conservation mode. You know, I'm. I think at the time I was using like. Third, fourth, and fifth gears. There was a couple of second gear corners, and you know I got in the car for my stint, which was going into the night. And uh, I forget the gentleman's name that was our crew chief. I I the guy's was a radio. You need to slow down. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm using. <laughs> we're in a I'm race. Using, I'm, I'm short shifting the car. Yeah. And you know I'm I'm driving. I could do this like the whole time. You need to slow down. We're you're all, you're going too fast for the pace. <laughs> and, you know, and I didn't understand that we were driving the car very very conservatively. Yeah. But, that was a lot of fun. We got to spend a lot of time in the car. I don't remember. I think I was in the car for an hour and a half on my one stint. And uh, Thunder Hill is a beautiful place to run. You know, we ran there last year with Optima, and uh, I'd love to go back there. The place is awesome. We had a we had a great time at that event. The car ended up getting wrecked in the last session because uh. they wanted the they wanted the car to finish the race. We had pulled the car out of the race for two or three hours with a clutch problem. Norm Goldridge went back out with the car. The clutch was hurt. He was off pace. I guess that's back in the back after, like, turn 10 where you crest the hill um, in the back of the track. And he was off pace. Somebody came over the hill and smashed right into the front of the car. So mm. that was kind of a uh, thwarted effort, but it was a great experience. You know, um, we had a lot of fun regardless. It was unfortunate for all the investment they spent that it turned out like it did. But uh, it was a great experience and something we'll remember for a very long time.
0: Okay, awesome. Now let's uh, let's talk about Corvettes a little bit. Something that you know just a little bit about. Um, you know what? I guess what is it about the C5 that makes it kind of a car that people keep coming back to? You know, there it seems to be a really good performance bargain. Uh, but what is it about it in your mind that kind of makes it? I don't want to say the end all be all, but you know, why do you pick that over over you know a C6 or, or a new C7 or a C4?
1: Well, you know, I like all Corvettes. You know, I don't really care so much for the C1 cars just because they just seem so archaic. I've <laughs> driven a couple of them. It's like driving a bus down the street with a big steering wheel in your chest that you can't get away from. But, um, you know, the C5 Corvette, um, you know, those Chevrolet engineers, chassis engineers, um, integration engineers, development engineers, they all did a fantastic job on that car. You know, that was very revolutionary when it came out. It was a humongous step forward um from the c four well, not that the c fours are horrendous but they're a little long in the tooth and you know lack some certain things but the c five you know even a ninety seven corvette they did that car very right you know the the frame system was incredibly more rigid than any of its uh, predecessors um you know it was the first time the l s engine came out which scared me to death when they first came out i was <laughs> I was already working here at the dealership, you know, and the only other aluminum power plant that GM made, I think, it was the HD forty one hundred in the Cadillacs, and those things were just a, oh my god nightmare. So when ninety seven Corvettes came out, I'm like oh my god, here we go again, and uh, much to my surprise, and probably a lot of people surprised at the time, I mean those those engines have been kind of timeless already too. I mean it's a replacement for the small block Chevy, um, you know the cylinder head design is so good in them, the airflow. They process air very well. They make very good power. They're very light. The packaging's good. And, you know, the chassis engineers did a fantastic job with the um, initial C5. And, you know, the C5 Z06s were the best of the breed for the performance cars. Um, You know, they were lighter. They had the most power. You know, had the biggest wheels and tires, the best suspension. And, you know, at the time when those cars came out, you know, full list on a fully loaded 020304 z's like 52 to 53 thousand dollars and you know at the time those cars are new that that's still a lot of money but the performance of that car versus its competitors and you know the segments was very good and you know as the cars grew a little older the cars were still very good even with the c6s and you know it's just kind of timeless the c6 and c7s all albeit are different um, you know, the C6 is an evolution of the C5, and the C7 is an evolution of the C6. And GM would like you to believe that they are just completely different cars from from one another. And, you know, that there is a lot of truth to that. But the thing they're not really telling you is, architecturally, those cars are, you know, a 97 Corvette to a brand-new C7 Z06. The construction of the frame is different. The suspension construction is different. But the architecture is still you know 92 93 percent correct to a 97 corvette so you know they did so much right in that car i don't think they've been able to super improve that um and you know the to be quite honest the reason the c 5s is still a very attractive um, and still competitive car is because you know the price points came down on them you can buy c5 z06s You know, you can buy high mileage beat on ones for probably 15 grand you can buy low mileage cream puffs out of somebody's garage for 25 grand and you just can't buy that kind of car you can't buy a car that performs that well for that kind of money right you know so uh, they're still very popular you know they're still of all the cars you see at the tracks you know at any hpd and nasa event weekend you're going to see a lot of miatas and you're going to see a lot of corvettes yeah what you're going to see you're going to see a lot of c5 corvettes still um, just because they're such good cars, and you know, seems like
0: you see more of them now, you know, than you know, than when I started. Well, because back the, a couple of years ago, because they're more disposable coming down, now, because yeah. the price point's so yeah. good.
1: And you know, the big the big improvements that they have made, you know, with the C6 Z06s, and you know, now the C7 Z06s is power and brakes. And you know, you can purchase those things. So yeah. <laughs> you know, you call Lingenfelder. you call K you call, you know, whoever builds race engines, as long as they can build them reliably you know, making 550 wheel is not a big deal um, out of an LS engine. And, um, you know, brake packages are abundant, you know, so you can fix those things. The C5 Corvettes will actually take as big a wheels as any of the other cars you can put 315s and 335s on them. And, you know, they're just fast. And, and they're lighter than all their their successors. So, yeah. you know, C5 Z06, low on fuels, completely stock is 3,050 pounds. And, a C seven, Z O six is thirty five hundred and fifty pounds. And although they have a lot more power, that five hundred pounds makes a big difference yeah. everywhere. So
0: now if somebody was looking for a C five, what would you recommend if they wanted uh, you know, a car that they could drive on the street but also take to a track day? I know we were talking a little off air about, you know, an F R C versus a O six and stuff like that. Um, you know, if if you were giving somebody advice to go to go out and go shop for a C five, what would you tell them?
1: Well, to be quite honest, if you're if you're gonna buy a C5 Corvette you're gonna if you're gonna mod it, you're gonna do HPD track days, autocross, whatever. Um, you know, if it's if you're not class specific, you know that might dictate some things for autocross, right? HPD one of the NASA, seven classes that you can <laughs> run a C5 in. One of the eighty-eight classes <laughs> in a Corvette, correct? Um, but you know, any of the C5s, all the parts are interchangeable. So really you know, if you have specific models that you favor for looks, reasons whatsoever. The, the C506 is obviously have the most power stock, but if you're going to mod the car, it doesn't really matter. The platform's the same. You can play Mr. Potato Head with that whole car. Everything interchanges all the way through the model years. The The brake systems are a little different with the electronics and things like that, but, you know, driveline parts, brakes, control arms, interior pieces, whatever, hoods, body panels, all that stuff swaps all the way through the years. So, Really, you know, it, it doesn't really matter unless your class you was know, class specific, and um, autocross primarily.
0: Okay, now I guess moving forward, what are the uh, the plans for for next year? Are you going back uh, going back to Optima, or um, what? What's kind of on the horizon?
1: Well, for twenty sixteen, we're going to do a lot of the same um, stuff. Um, we are going to still participate in the Optima series, although. We will not be doing West Coast events. Um Lingenfelder is still a title sponsor um to the Optima series and the OUSCI. But, you know, last couple of years they've spent an incredible amount of money traveling, you know, with a big semi and loading a bunch of cars and all that stuff. So they're not gonna support it that way anymore. So we um, won't do Thunder Hill Fontana and probably the early Las Vegas event. We will be out there for the OUSCI. Um to participate in the final event and you know we're going to do uh the corvette museum road america and coda for sure and potentially charlotte so you know we'll run basically a full series to be able to qualify and still run for their points race um and then you know on top of that we're gonna do some nasa stuff um not you know completely but just to have fun and you know see how that all goes and um, the good guy stuff, we'll do the good guy stuff again, just because all the sponsors want to do that with the old car. And I dig that old car so much. Yeah. And it's, then it's really sweet. Yeah, I keep going lovely. back to it, but it's really cool. Um, and but, the story behind it's great too. And, the, and then the new thing for me this year is I'm going to kind of go back to my roots with my son. I have a 16 year old Nathan who uh, is an aspiring race car driver.
0: He's almost faster than you, right?
1: Yeah. He's <laughs> my little, my, my, uh, cute little Acura RSX type S last year he was running, um, as a 15 and a half year old in the SCCA, they allow you to run if you have a temporary permit, as long as the, you know, the custodial parent or parents riding with you. So we did that for the last four months, last year. Um, the kid can absolutely knock the snot out of my daily driver Acura. And last event, he was only two tenths of a second from dad who's been doing this for a while. And <laughs> well, I'll tell you the Acura is a radically easier car to drive than the other Corvettes that he'll yeah. eventually drive. It's still a testament that, you know, how devoted and willing he is and what a good student he's been up to this point. So, you know, for me, that's going to create another sense of euphoria um, to be able to share in his joy and passion of, you know, doing motorsports and starting basically in the same way that his grandfather and I did and, you know, see where it see where it evolves into.
0: Yeah. So uh, now going back a little bit too, we talked earlier that you've actually had a couple of different Hondas, too. Um, if you want to talk about those at all, because we have we have a lot of people listening that are big Honda guys. I know this is mostly Corvettes, and yeah, it's putting you on the okay, spot. So a little everybody listen good. Big bad Danny, the Corvette
1: guy here, uh, actually has had Hondas probably for the last twelve or thirteen years, something like that. And you know, I, I I'm a Corvette guy, but I appreciate all performance cars. Um, you know, my daily drivers for the last ten or fifteen years have been. Primarily Honda products, I've had, I think, three 88 to 91 CRX-SIs. Um, I had um, a 2000 EM1 Civic Si for the last, you know, three or four years. And, you know, last year I bought this uh, 2006 Acura RSX Type S, which I, which I absolutely love. It's a great little car. It's actually a really fun little autocross car. Um. So, we've been having a, a ball with it. I bought a set of inkies and a set of Rival S's for it, and little things hooked up, and Nathan and I have been having a ball with it. So. Yeah.
0: yeah, awesome. I mean, so, since you kept the first autocross car that you ever autocrossed, are you going to hold on to this thing for him? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, probably not. Okay. And, and to be quite honest, actually, the uh, the 72 Corvette was not the first car that I autocrossed. Oh, really? I, my dad made me uh, start in the sixty-five, three hundred twenty-seven, three hundred fifty horse Corvette. I ran oh, okay. it. Okay. I ran it for uh, one or two events. I think yeah. when I was sixteen years old. Uh, sixty-five, three hundred twenty-seven, three hundred fifty horse Corvette, manual transmission, coupe. No power steering, no power brakes. Oh, man. God, I don't even know how I got that car <laughs> through slums the power brake and the lack of power brakes you can deal with, actually. The manual brakes are pretty good in those cars, but the no power steering in an autocross in a Corvette is a steady diet of pain.
0: Have you ever asked him, did he do that on purpose?
1: Um, no, I don't <laughs> think so. The Mr. Miyagi a, a training program. L- a little slower, um, you know, and... You know, Nathan's been running this Acura, and we've been having fun with that. But, you know, I think I told you uh, three weeks ago, I just bought yet another Electron Blue C5-Z06. <laughs> and, uh, they
0: just seem to keep multiplying around yeah, here. They're like and, rabbits. And my blue fetish. You know, I've
1: got three <laughs> C5-Z06s that are Electron Blue and the 72 Corvette Starga Blue, and I've got a 95 Z28 Camaro that's blue. and um, But, you know, I bought that. One of my buddies and fabricator, Joe Rook, um, bought that car three, four, five years ago or so. I gave my blessing and looked at it when he bought it. And he was interested in getting rid of it because he has some other land acquisition he wanted to do and he asked me if I was interested in it. And he didn't drive it enough. And, you know, as we're talking about deals on C5Z06s, you know, that car was bought for under twenty two grand. it has got 18,000 miles wow. on it still on its original tires. It's cream and puff. I bought it for two reasons: A, to have another kind of cool street car I can drive around. Um, but also as another learning tool and step for my son, Nathan. You know, yeah. We can't we can't have him coming out of a uh, 2006 RSX that's uh, basically stock with uh, alignment tires and then throw him right into a 600-wheel horsepower <laughs> Corvette. That's just not, not a could. good could. I just don't know how
0: well it would end.
1: You know, well, if we were on a big airport lot where there's nothing to hit, that would be fine. But, you yeah. know, some of our local lots have things. And, you know, I, I don't want to create failure for him either. And Yeah. C five z six for a sixteen year old kid is still going to be like riding a rodeo bull in a china shop. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you that. But
0: uh, you gonna let him loose on the seventy two eventually too.
1: Well, the third generation. You know, the, and as I told you before, you know, I could uh, be bankrupt, lose everything. The seventy two Corvette would be the very last car to go, and you know that car is a family heirloom to me. Has an incredible um, history. It's pretty famous,
0: too, because, like, Adam Adam texted me. He was like, hey, man, did you get to see the 72? I was like, yeah, really? I did. Yeah. 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 Cool. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, and, you know, it, the family heirloom car, you know, it's in its second generation with me, and uh, it will be in its third generation with Nathan. Although, you know, I deem that car completely unreplaceable. I mean, I could buy another 72 Corvette. I could build it just like that, but it would not be the same car. Yeah. So... That will be the last car that he probably gets into. He'll he'll drive my Optima car uh, before he drives that. Um, you know, we just—I I don't run the car on road courses. Cause I don't want anything to happen to it. I don't want to set him up for failure with it. You know, if something happens to it, we'll fix it. Your but.
0: dad already saved it once, man.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did actually. He did, and uh, <laughs> act of God, you know yeah. what they say. But, yeah. Uh, you know, th- that car will stay in the family for a long period of time, come hell or high water, so uh, it's it's unreplaceable. These C5Zs, you can still buy them, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Even in blue. So, um, They're still out there. Yeah, and you know, so it's going to be fun watching him do all that, and you know, he keeps threatening me that going to beat me, and... <laughs> I Tell him you know what, one day, buddy, you will beat me. But you all have earned it because I will never ever give it to you. You're going to earn it the hard way. He's going to be your
0: fiercest competitor, man. Yeah, he
1: will be. He's already <laughs> pretty hungry at uh, full throttle. Where we're going to be, you know, uh, in two days for the motorsport yeah. expo. But yeah, uh, he just got a job over there. He is completely ate up with this uh, motorsport thing. And uh, for me, it's uh, a lot of fun. And you know, for anybody else out there listening, he has got kids growing up and things like that. I think I've seen some stuff on Facebook lately. You know, bring your kid up with a car habit. He won't have money for drugs. Yeah, that's what That'll I was just about to say. Yeah. Absolutely true. And, yeah. And to be quite honest, for a father and a son or even a father and a daughter, you know, there's a lot of girls out there that do this. I mean, that's a great bonding thing. It gives you something that you both enjoy and spend a lot of time, too, and it's a hobby. And you know It's yeah. just the automotive field and the motorsport arena and grassroots stuff is is all a lot of fun for you know, individuals or families, and father and son relationships, father and daughter relationships, husband and wife wife relationships. You know, there's all spectrums of that out yeah. there. So,
0: yeah. The first time your son auto crosses at seventy two, I think you need to drag your dad out and make a family event out of it.
1: Yeah, you know that 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 maybe not that, the
0: drive, at least to be there. That'll be cool. Yeah, but that'd da- be really neat.
1: Dad came up and did watch him run at Wilmington uh, last year. Um, And the thing that's been cool at the last two Columbus Good Guys events, the sponsor shootouts, that we've been fortunate enough to win for the last two years is my dad came up. And uh, so my dad's up there and my son's up there. So, you know, we're all three standing out there getting pictures taken and getting contingency checks and all that other stuff. So, you know, that's been a lot of fun for me.
0: Yeah, you were when we were looking at the car, you told me that uh, you took your dad for a ride in it when you got all the, the work done. You took him on, I guess, at an autocross event, mm-hmm. uh, and he was just completely blown away that it was the same car. <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: dad, dad hasn't drove that car. I don't remember, remember last time he drove the car. He won't drive it now. He's frightened of it. You know, the thing makes 600 wheel horsepower. He's got a, <laughs> you know, kind of a touchy little clutch. I don't have a problem with it, but, you know, for someone that doesn't know how to drive multi-disc race clutches, yeah. it's a little little iffy. Um, but, yeah, he was up, it was last year, um, 20, 2014, sorry, two, two events ago in Columbus at the sponsor shootout. We were fortunate enough to win. Um, they don't let you take passengers during the shootout. But then they go immediately after the shootout on Saturday morning to regular competition. And, you know, part of the thing is with the good guys, they let people ride with you and all that other stuff, which is cool. And I said, all right, Dad, hey, you're up here. Let's go for a ride. And he really didn't want to go at first, but he, he rode. And, you know, I swung that thing around like a minute. And the thing I forgot to tell you is the run when I took my dad was the fastest run of any car that whole weekend. <laughs> it was the only 27-second run, so that that was really cool. Yeah. And, and at the end of that run, I'm like, Dad, what do you think? And he goes, this thing is bleeping incredible. <laughs> you know, 84-year-old guy making exclamatories about his car. He couldn't believe it. He was uh, he couldn't believe the uh, modern 200 Treadwear tires is one of is the Is that good? Things. Yeah. He, we yeah, were was talking earlier that's better than race tires back then. I'm sure that they are. Yeah. You know, the modern two hundred treadwear tires have come a very long way. And, yeah. um, Especially those BFGs that you're running too. Yeah, the BFGs are full of awesome sauce, I can tell you that. Yeah, you know, they've uh, all of our wins, you know, I, I get a lot of credit for everything that we do, you know, being a Corvette prep guy and being I mean, a good wheel man, all that other stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, I also tell everybody you know, extraordinary results are more easily accomplished through the efforts of many. And, you know, I'm just a lucky idiot that gets to drive this car we put together. <laughs> and, you know, we've got a lot of sponsors that have helped with both Corvettes. And, you know, now this new Corvette, and, you know, we've got BF Goodrich that um, helps us with the tires and their awesome rival S. Um, you know, Forge Line supplies the best in the business wheels. You know, Lingenfelder Performance Engineering has done both the engines and both these. Blue Corvettes that uh, we swing around here, the new and the old. Um, we got Willwood brakes on the old car and Bear brakes on the new one. Quartermaster clutches in both cars. Um, JRI shocks on both cars. Van steel suspension components on both cars. The uh, old Corvette has got a single-plane intake that looks like a carburetor. But yeah,
0: when you pop the hood, I was like, is this
1: thing still carbureted?" <laughs> yeah, but it's a sequential multi-port, you know, the Holley HP yeah. uh, fuel injection on it um who else jizzle there's a lot of of them hooker (laughs) headers yeah um you know bear brakes hawk, hawk brake pads you know i've been blessed to uh been able to use the best in the braking departments and uh you know the hawks and the the bears and the willwoods you know it's all good stuff the uh i tell my hawk guys i thank them every day every day we run our road course thank you for allowing me to come home to my family thank you thank you because it's more important to be able to stop than to go i can yeah. tell you that and confidence in the braking zone is a very very important thing to and me. the more
0: go you have the more stop you need yeah you know I,
1: we get all these customers that come in because you know 80 percent of our work here at uh, mccluskey chevrolet at least mine it is you pretty much competition prep of corvettes you know or camaros or whatever and um you know we get these new you new hpd guys and they're all euphoric and you know, they run their first or second HPD event, and they come to me like, I want a lot more power. I need more power because we're running a road course. I'm like, no. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no, and no, you need brakes and suspension and reliability yeah. because the driver means more than any of the above. And I've got multiple examples of why just putting power in a car actually will slow you down because it's scarier yeah. and other things <laughs> don't work as well. and So, yeah, you don't want to go down that slope. You know, yeah. you want to make – the car reliable first learn to drive then you work on grip and braking and then the last thing you always do is put the motor in the car cars are harder to sort out chassis wise balance and handling when they're grossly overpowered without having the other systems in the car to uh, support it
0: and along those lines too of you know i guess having people that are new to the sport you know wanting to add things to the car you were also uh, the lead instructor or the chief instructor for 10 Tents for the past couple years, too. So,
1: um, yeah, the last year I have not been um, right, and part of that was just because the good guy's schedule and the optimist schedule and my commitments to Lingenfelder, um, you know, have led us away from being able to be it at every 10 Tents event. But you know, Bill Neal from 10 Tents Motorsports started 10 Tents in uh, 2008. Um, he was kind of a newbie, he was a Corvette guy, he's a full time fireman. Um, He ran his first year. He actually got in a NASA time trial. You know, ran enough NASA events, got in a time trial. And what happened and why he created Ten Tents was he ran his first time trial event, and he was absolutely horrified because he hadn't been in that environment yet, and you know the system that promoted him up through didn't really give him the experience that he needed. That he felt. So Bill, being entrepreneurial, and Bill being a full time Um, full-time fireman and owner of another safety-related company, saw an opportunity and actually a need to have people um, actually be able to gain the experience required to run time trial events or actually even road racing. And the thing that's unique about 10 Tents is, is, um, you know, there is a, a green group, a yellow group, and a red group. And, you know, those are typical, you know, greens are your novices and yellows are your intermediates, and the greens have to go to school and the greens have to have an instructor, and then they get signed off and they can run solo, and then if they're good enough, they can go into yellow. And then the thing that most outfits don't have is the 10-10s red group is open passing. Race group. (laughs) Well, it's it's not racing. It's open passing. Yeah. And, you know, just like the skill set required – more in road racing than time trial, but in both is situational awareness. Yeah, and, you know, so many people are just up on the wheel looking out the windshield. they never look back, they never pay attention. They're not relaxed enough to even have the foresight to do so. But Bill felt the need to have that group, which was very controversial at first. It's actually our safest group because you know the requirements to be there are is actually you are promoted, you are checked for situational awareness, skill sets. You know, being able to make sure you're looking at the corner workers and relaxing, and the thing that he requires for that is not how fast you are, it's how aware you are. Yeah, you know, and so you know, actually, with ten tenths, we've done practice race starts and race simulations to give people those experience, time trial starts. You know, it's open passing, and he demands the utmost in sportsmanship, because. You know, to be quite honest, any of these, any HPDE, A, there's no national champion of HPDE. And in NASA, People there, think there is, NASA but and SCCA road <laughs> racing, there are national champions. But guess what? No one's there at the end of the day to give you a million dollar check. And yeah. you can get hurt, you can get dead. And, you know, nobody wants any of that stuff. Accidents are unfortunate. Accidents are going to happen anyway. Um, but, you know, we're all out there to have fun. So, you know, sportsmanship's the most important stuff in any. Any, any motorsport venue, to be quite honest, even if it's even if it's, uh, you know, single car competition autocross, (laughs) you know, but, you know, more important on the road courses where, you know, health and safety matters. are paramount.
0: Yeah. I mean, along the lines of situational awareness, you know, my whenever I have a green student, the first thing they want to know essentially is, hey, you know, when can I go drive by myself? And for me, it's not a speed thing. It's you know, I have to know that they're going to be courteous on track, know what's going on. Uh, you know, and be able to handle themselves if a situation arises. Mm-hmm. I could care less how fast they are, as long as they're not a, a complete rolling roadblock. But even if they are, you know, sometimes with Miatas and Corvettes, even with top drivers in each, there's just places where, like at Road Atlanta, a, you know, a Corvette is going to absolutely blow by a Miata. Absolutely. So, just but, because the straightaway handling. Yeah. So, But just, just, you know, having that in the back of their mind or anybody that's listening, if you want to progress up through the ranks, don't focus on how fast you are necessarily focus on how safe you're going to be you know and and situational awareness being able to handle things as they pop up and that is what's going to get you going up through the groups the easiest
1: well and when you start hpde or any road course stuff i mean even autocross it happens too but you need to learn to relax I mean, you know don't be up so on the wheel the death grip on it and gritting your teeth and only focusing out the windshield i mean yeah. you need to you need to reference your corner workers immediately, figure out where they're at, because those are the guys who are going to save your butt in case something happens. You need to – and it's not that hard. I mean, if you routinely come out of a corner, don't look – you can look in the mirrors in the corners if you are really experienced. But just every time you come up on a straightaway, Take a you little come peek. up on a straightaway, unwind the wheel, glance in your mirrors. If there's a car there, God did not put that car there. He ran you down. You should yeah. let him pass. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be a surprise. And the least surprised you are, the more everything's going to calm down. And then once things calm down, then you can increase speed. Yeah. You're going to be capable of learning and paying attention to what your car does good, what it does bad, what you could do better. Um, you know, there's just the evolution of all that. But day one is not how fast you can go. <laughs> yeah. And neither is day 10, probably. <laughs> so, you know, you just have to build on it. So Rome wasn't built in a day, and uh, he just got building blocks and, you know, work on it safely.
0: Yeah. So, well, we really appreciate your time, Danny. Uh, where can people find out more about you and about uh, McCluskey Chevrolet and uh, if, if they want to learn more?
1: Um, McCluskey Chevrolet has a website, McCluskey.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, Danny Pop. Uh, I also have a motorsports-related uh, consultation and parts company, Raft Motorsports, Inc. Um, R-A-F-T? R-A-F-T, Raft Motorsports, Inc. Um, that right now is just a social media page. Our web page is down. We're uh, putting some other stuff on it. and. Going to switch things up, so that'll be determined by the RAF Motorsports page what's on Facebook.
0: The, uh, what's the origin of the RAF name? Where'd that come from? <laughs> I'm just sitting here wondering now.
1: Well, to be quite honest, it, uh, it kind of has an explicit meaning. and it, <laughs> what, what it really came from is back in my earlier youth, um, There's called a band called LA Guns, and they had a song called Rip and Tear. So there's the R-A-N-T, <laughs> and there's an exclamatory that's the F, and... Kind of what happened with that is I had a pretty crazy team leader when I worked at Nissan, a guy named Dave Page, a drag bike rider. And you know, that song would come on and we'd all rock out and it became ripping, and bleeping, and tear. And somehow people uh, personified that with me and how I drove around autocross courses. <laughs> and it, it just kind of stuck. So that's been uh, 22, 23 years now. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of cars you'll see with raft decals, particularly Corvettes. Those are. Uh, not typically given; they're earned. Yeah, we have college-like <laughs> hazing processes that uh, initiate you into our gang because raft <laughs> is a gang, not a team. And uh, we also have some politically correct acronyms since uh, not we have to be PC on occasions. And <laughs> that can stand for "rip a fast time" or "radical acceleration and fat tires," roasting <laughs> all four tires, or things we break rods and friggin' transmissions. And- <laughs>
0: <laughs> multiple meanings yeah some of the pro
1: touring guys with these big heavy cars racing a friggin tank <laughs> there's been all sorts of acronyms put to it but uh, uh the rip and tear things were way through life than just the way you drive and, yeah you know, seize every moment and you're not promised tomorrow and you know make the most of it yeah Well, we really
0: appreciate you having you on. Uh, You know, we'll see you on Saturday at the karting event. Absolutely. And uh, looking forward to seeing what's uh, coming up next season for you.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Austin. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much, Danny.